Welcome to A Mouthful of Feet. I, today I wanted to look at why Americans are fat, because I have a whole bunch of different theories about that. So we're just going to cycle through them and have some fun. I like to pound things on the... Shouldn't do that. Okay. You've probably heard a bunch of these ideas before, and that's okay. But I'm going to skip the munchies, and I'm going to skip packaged foods, because you've probably heard enough about that. Let's just get started. Here's idea number one. Americans are fat because of inflation in real estate. The idea here is that the restaurant business is basically a real estate business. You're essentially renting the table for an hour. The cost of the food is not relevant. As commercial rents go up, they have to raise prices. So they give you more food to justify it. And so that's how the portions are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because the only way you can get a working class person to pay $10 or $15 for a meal is if that meal is basically an entire day's worth of food. And that's why you're fat. Americans are fat because we're lonely. But this is actually part of a much broader problem that has to do... Well, gosh, it's complicated. Let me start by... Body and mind are an integrated system, but that's not how we treat them. We break everything down into constituent parts, and then we feed all those parts separately. So we feed our body, and we care for our body in one protocol... And we feed our mind and we care for our mind in another protocol. And as a result, both systems are completely out of control. So what's this got to do with loneliness? Loneliness is just one of the eddies in a stream made turbulent by this artificial separation. Because it seems to me that if we had a more integrated way of life, it would be fine to feed a little bit of loneliness with a little bit of comfort food, because it would be temporary. In fact, in the process of going out and getting a little bit of comfort food, you're running to some friends, uh, loneliness would dissipate. But we don't, we don't do things that way. We can go to a drive-thru, and then we can go to the gym, and then we can work from home. And we, so we can feed all of these things separately. We can do all these things in isolated boxes. And so then we have all these inputs. But, but the inputs aren't regulated anymore because they're supposed to regulate each other. So we have all these inputs that have been isolated from each other and no longer regulated each other. So how much food is appropriate? As much as until, I don't know. And Feeding doesn't do anything about loneliness, actually. It doesn't, so do I just keep eating until I feel less lonely? Doesn't That doesn't make sense. And getting food no longer drives you into the company of others necessarily. It does it's a lot, but not necessarily. And for people who are very isolated, it doesn't. So that's the eddy. That's the eddy. And that's why you're fat. Number three, Americans are fat because we have a death wish. Okay, let me rephrase that. We're looking for an early exit in almost everything that we do. Short-termism. We're all guilty. So, let me sort of put this question to you. Why are your eyes fixed directly on the road in front of you instead of down the road at the curves ahead? Okay, when, when, when I ask this question, the only answers that you can give are... That you don't have confidence, there are two, right? One is you don't have confidence in being able to navigate what's right in front of you. Too complicated. Or you don't have confidence in being able to perceive what's further down the road. So those are the two things that can keep your eyes glued right in front of you. Let's just call that uncertainty in general. We can unpack that down the road. It seems to me the same thing is actually happening economically. And it's one of the reasons that we've been having decades of declining productivity growth. It's increasing myopia because of disruption and 
Well, one way to think about it is to think about Uber, because if you are a large corporation with billions of dollars to spend, you might think twice about rolling out a huge infrastructure if you're afraid that someone like Uber is going to come along and not only use very powerful technologies to disrupt your business, but also they break a lot of rules. They break a lot of social rules, and they get away with it because somehow the culture is with them. The wind is in their sails, and so you're very cautious now about how you spend capital. So your research budget goes up, and that's why we're seeing those STEM jobs making so much money. But your other budgets go down because you don't want to throw good money after bad. So then you find yourself sitting on a cash hoard, which, which you invest, right? So you're seeking yield with all this money, buying bonds, buying stocks, and that drives financialization, which drives volatility, which in turn increases uncertainty. Am I wrong about that? I mean, it's not an expert view or anything. It's, I think it's just putting the obvious pieces together. And it just, these are the kinds of phenomenon that we're calling singularity. That's what I want to talk about on this podcast. Because what is singularity after all, if not increasing myopia? That's the whole point. And like any phenomenon, it's more extreme at the margins. Because if you're already marginal, then you can't simply increase your R&D spending and throw the rest of your cash into the market for a while. No, you're going to reduce your food budget. And if people are under enough pressure like this for long enough, it becomes a death wish. People choosing death by heart disease or drug overdose or something else. Because in this very uncertain society, growing old is more terrifying than dying young. So one of the things I want to do in this show is play social engineer and ask what we can do to help people have longer horizons. So that's one thing that I hope we can talk about a lot. Okay, this is number four. Americans are fat because crime pays. I will explain. Think of, think of the monkey stealing food, how happy he is. Right? Crime pays. We're evolved with a very deep understanding that stealing works. This is basically a scavenging instinct. Now, like everything else, we make this into something more sophisticated. Instead of stealing from others, when you eat something you shouldn't, you're sort of stealing from yourself or you're defying your own authority. So you don't feel shame when you're doing this. You feel fantastic. You feel victorious. You got away with it. It's not until the next morning when you stand on the scale that you realize you didn't get away with shit, but the incentive is very powerful and deeply, deeply ingrained. So if you have a culture that's, say, more corrupt, then the people in that place probably are fatter because you have a culture that encourages dishonesty, not only with others, but with, with the self. Uh, and if you have a culture that elevates integrity, then people are probably going to be healthier. Not having to do with health per se, but just because they follow their own rules, the rules that they set for themselves. And that's why Americans are fat, because we increasingly have a culture that is, that is very corrupt and where people can see very clearly, they look around them and they can see very clearly that you know, the old Clinton formula, work hard, play by the rules, doesn't work at all. Because you, like whole classes of people, just get swept aside. And uh, apparently that was done by the rules, so there it is. And that's why you're fat. Uh, this is number five. Americans are fat because, I'm not sure exactly how to say this, it's a religious impulse. Or it's an anthropomorphic impulse. Here's how we do we. There's a lot of things in the world, nature itself, God, our cars. We, we have relationships with these things. And we think that because we have relationships with these things, that these things also have a relationship with us, even though they don't. The universe doesn't care about you. 
The food that you eat is not there to provide warmth and comfort. It doesn't give a shit about you. Uh, but we think that the things that we have relationships with, and we do, we have relationships, we have, we trust these things, we put faith in them, we get all kinds of, you know, we, we have complex relationships with all of these things. You know, with nature, this is definitely how, how religion arises, because of the confusion. You think, I have a relationship with it, it must have a relationship with me. But that's just not true. A side note to this is that there are some interesting exceptions. For example, you have a relationship with the state, and the state also does have a relationship with you, and the form of that relationship is specifically defined as accountability. It's accountable to you. And then you have a relationship with corporations also, and they kind of have a relationship with you too, but it's a little bit different. And that means increasingly you do have a relationship with your car, your phone, your with Siri, I guess, because Siri knows all about you, because the corporation knows everything the corporation knows, your car knows. So your relationship with it now is less of an illusion in a... But that doesn't make it a better thing. It's actually worse than that. If we have a relationship with these corporations at all, is an abusive one in which they hijack our loyalty and hijack our tendency to do these things. Getting back on track, how does this work with food? So let's just explain it in these terms. Then. You think the food is there to comfort you. <laughs> you think you, you think the food is there to do all the things for you that that you go to it for. You don't know better because in the world that you live in, you're constantly surrounded by things that seem to have a relationship with you, but that don't actually have a relationship with you. For example, I'm willing to bet that a majority of Americans have more, uh, let's just call them personalities, uh, in their lives who aren't actual people. Like the people they know from TV, uh, the media of various kinds on YouTube and whatever, or here on the radio or something, or, or just are aware of second-hand, and the, the greats among us whose actions are so important. Those people have a presence in your life, but it's a one-way relationship. All the things that they do affect you, but nothing you do affects them, and they don't care about you at all. They are like the pantheon of gods, and they surround you, and it's a one-way relationship. But you think it's a two-way relationship instinctively, even though you know it isn't. Instinctively, you think it's a two-way relationship, and so your world seems peopled. It seems full. And this goes back to why people are lonely, because we've... We've actually got a world that makes that feels like it's full of people, constantly in a room that's crowded, crowded with avatars that don't know we're watching them. And this is why we're fat. <laughs> we're fat because we seek a relationship in food that isn't there. And we do that because we can't tell anymore the difference between a relationship that's actually real and two-way uh, complementary uh, and a relationship that is one of these avatar relationships where it's completely one way where it's just an anthropomorphism we we have a relationship with it and don't recognize that the damn thing doesn't have a relationship with us and that's why you're fat so i have a solution to this actually no not a solution i have a little something uh, about food uh, all that other stuff i talked about my solution is to do a podcast so there's that so here's my idea let me give you some background I had a friend against whom I'd held a very long grudge. A very long grudge. And one day I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, if I could keep a diet half as well as I could hold a grudge. <laughs> and uh, so that thought didn't go anywhere at first. But when I thought about it for a while, I realized holding a grudge is actually, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a functional thing. You can, you can intentionally do it. It's basically a demonization. 
Holding a grudge is basically demonization, right? Isn't that true? When, when you hold a, a grudge against someone, you reduce them to just the things you don't like about them. And then you, you focus on that, and it, you put it up on the wall, and it sits there for years. So I thought, maybe you can demonize food. Why not? And this is a little bit politically incorrect, I think. A little bit dangerous, because I think demonization is frightening to people. And I understand it. Demonization is frightening. But we're talking about demonizing food, all right? So here's the plan. Here's what I did. I actually did this. I did an experiment. It kind of worked, I think. <laughs> here it is. All right, so here's the experiment that I did. I took a piece of, it was this bread that was kind of half bread, half cake that they have at the Albertsons down here. Uh, and it's it's this evil, irresistible thing. So I, I took it and I put it on a plate, right? And then I made a little sign for it. I put it on a plate and I put it on a table in front of me. And then I made a little sign for it, like a tag. And the tag says, uh, th this is the thought of the bread and it's projected at me and the tag says i don't care about you and the exercise is now you go to the bread and you tell it you know i came to you for comfort i came to you for sustenance i came to you for you know yada yada, yada I, all these things you you unburden yourself to the bread and you let it know how much it has disappointed you but the thing is all the bread will ever say back to you is i don't care about you and this process will teach you to hate the bread this will demonize you will learn this thing just cannot come up with a decent response to any of your pro any of your, so you learn to hate it and you know what it worked i can't get anywhere near that i can't even get near that section in the albertsons so you go ahead and try this at home and this has been mouthful feet episode two i'm having a good time i hope you are uh tune in next time